The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it is great to be with you. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, you are joining us in the midst of a sermon series in the book of Romans, and we are in Romans chapter 15 this morning, Romans chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans 15. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we'll project the passage in just a moment on the screens. You can follow along there. Um, but as we've been going through the book of Romans, if you remember from a few weeks ago, if you were with us, uh, I mentioned that there are commentators and theologians who argue that we could break up Romans into two main categories. There's obviously subcategories and smaller ways we could uh, outline the book, but there are two main categories. The first is chapters 1 through 11 that deal um, primarily, not exclusively, but focus on our doctrine on theology, on what we believe. And then chapters 12 through 16 focus, not exclusively, but primarily on what we are to do in light of what we believe. So it's kind of uh, what, what we believe and what we do. It's uh, theology and doctrine and application. Now, of course, those are, um, those, uh, uh, are very kind of skimming the surface kind of categories. And, of course, there's application in theology and vice versa. But, but uh, that's the section that we've been in this, week, this last number of weeks is the section on application, on how the gospel informs how we are to live. And in the last couple weeks, Paul's been focusing specifically on issues revolving around disputes within the body. When disputable matters arise, not things of first priority, but secondary or, or third priority, how are we to live? And Paul has said that we bear with one another, we love one another, we pursue the kingdom of God with one another. And that same theme, how we live together, is what Paul continues to discuss this morning in Romans 15. So let's follow along, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us build his neighbor for let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. 
And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to, the, to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and ask that you would help us to be people of hope. Help us to be people who believe and trust in you. Help us to be people who, because of what Christ has done, serve one another. We need your help. We need it today, and we need it every day. And so we ask that you would work by your spirit in our midst now. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I recently uh, read a biography. Uh, It's semi-autobiographical about uh, Tyler Hamilton. Now, Tyler Hamilton is a name that maybe some of you are not familiar with, but at one time, not too long ago, Tyler Hamilton was one of the best cyclists in the world. He, uh, he could ride for miles and miles. He could ride at speeds that would make our stomachs turn. <laughs> Tyler Hamilton was one of the best cyclists in the world. He won stages of the Tour de France, and there was speculation, there was thought that, that one day he would lead his own team, and that one day he would don the yellow jersey and perhaps win the Tour himself. But for all of Tyler Hamilton's talent, for all of his work, and for all of his effort, that never came. You see, because for the most of his career, Tyler Hamilton didn't lead a cycling team. No, he rode on U.S. Postal Team. A U.S. Postal Team had a leader. His name was Lance Armstrong. I imagine you've heard of that name. Lance Armstrong, if he's on your team, he is the leader, right? One of the greatest cyclists, probably the greatest cyclist ever, right? He was the leader, and so Tyler was simply a domestique. Domestique is a French word. It simply means servant. But in the world of professional cycling, you have team leaders and then you have domestiques. And that's what Tyler Hamilton and the rest of U.S. Postal was to Lance. They were domestiques. They served the leader. They would use all of their effort, all of their training, all of their strength in service of the team and of their leader. And so in a race, when it was time to push the other team to the point of exhaustion so that the team leader, your team leader, would one day win, would eventually win, it was the domestiques who used all their energy. When it was time for someone to ride in front of the leader so that he could draft off behind you and and save his energy for the final push, it was the domestique who, who had to lead the way. And when it was time for the end, the final push, when someone would cross the finish line first, it was the domestiques who would pull aside and the team leader would go flying by. You see, domestiques weren't those who would one day stand on the podium and the cameras weren't fixed on them and they wouldn't receive the accolades or the endorsements. They weren't showing up at late night talk show hosts to be interviewed. No, their job wasn't to please themselves. It didn't matter where they finished. Their job was to use their talent, their skill, and their strength to serve others. 
to serve their team. And that's what Paul's talking about in our passage. In verse 1, we read, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So there's that language of weak and strong that we've heard from the last couple of weeks. You remember, the weak are those who are taking on extra biblical convictions. And they are saying that these are the ways in which we are supposed to live. But the strong are those who are saying, no, we can live within the freedom that Christ has granted us. And Paul says the strong, of which he attributes himself, right? He says he's part of the strong. We have an obligation to the weak. An obligation to bear, to serve, to not please ourselves. Paul goes on in verse 2 and says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. You see, what Paul's telling us is that we are to be those people who for the sake of the weak and for the sake of our neighbor, we don't please ourselves, but instead we serve our neighbor and we serve the weak. That we are to be domestiques. Now, why would we do this? I mean, why would we spend time not seeking to please ourselves? Why would we set aside our desires and our own pleasures and instead serve others? Why would we do this? Well, Paul tells us the reason. The reason we serve the weak and we serve our neighbor and we serve one another is because this is how Christ has served us. Did you see it in verse 3? For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And then later in verses 7 through 8, he says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. So you hear it, right? Christ didn't please himself. Instead, we know what Christ did, right? He bore the mistreatments of man. He endured beatings. He was mocked and even crucified. He didn't please himself, but instead he became a servant to the weak. He became a servant to us. Right? Jesus says in Mark chapter 10 that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what he did for us. That Jesus lived the life we could not live and he died in our place. He died the death that we deserved. He did it so that we would be received and accepted as his people. Right? In verse 7, we're told that we are welcomed. We are to welcome others as we have been welcomed. In that language of welcome, it means to receive or to be accepted. It's a welcoming of camaraderie or friendship. And that's what Christ has done. He's welcomed us, accepted us, received us into his people. And it's not because of anything that we've done. It's not because we're deserving, right? It's our reproaches that he took upon himself. No, no, he receives and accepts us because of what he has done. Christ the strong served us the weak. And not just us, but the nations, right? Later on in verses 9 through 12, 
we have these Old Testament quotes. We'll, we'll talk about them a little bit more later. But, but in these verses, what we're seeing is that, that this service of Christ wasn't just for the circumcised, not just for the Jew, though it was, but also for the nations, for the Gentiles, for those who had never heard the promises of God. Jesus would go and give his life for them, for us. So you see, like a domestique, we, we don't please ourselves, but we have an obligation to bear with the weak and serve one another because that's how Christ has served you and how he served me. Now, that sounds wonderful, right? I mean, that sounds great. It's a beautiful vision, right? Christ serves us. We serve others. It's, it's, it's a beautiful, like, kind of pay it forward sort of idea, though, you know, true and good and right, you know, all those sorts of things. But, but the question then kind of starts to build in our hearts and minds, well, well, where is this ability going to come from? Because the truth is, is that when we're honest with ourselves, we want to please ourselves, don't we? I mean, like when we imagine, you know, the coming days, when we, when we daydream and, and think about our futures, right, and, and about the, the weeks and the months and the years ahead, we we think about the things that are going to please us, don't we? The vacations we're going to take, the job that will be offered, right? The house that maybe we'll build, you know, all the different things. And, and things that aren't bad in of themselves, but, but very rarely are we dreaming and imagining not pleasing ourselves, right? I, I mean, I don't. We don't think about not serving our own desires and wants and comforts. Now, when we look at our hearts... We don't see much hope for the ability to live like this, do we? So how are we going to be enabled to live like this? Is this just Jesus saying, Paul saying, hey, go do this, but, but really, you can't do it, so don't worry about, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge? No, of course not. So where will this enablement come from? Where does hope of a life lived like this come from? Well, Paul tells us. We are enabled to live as servants to one another through God's word and his spirit. Right? In verse 4, we see, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. What Paul's telling us there is that all of God's word is a benefit to us. All of God's word instructs and informs how we are to live. All of God's word. Not just the Pauline epistles, not just the gospels, all of it. Because did you see what he said? What was written in the former days. So remember, when Paul's writing, the New Testament's still being formed, right? It's still being accumulated, it's still being written. So he, he may, even when he's writing Romans, may not have had access yet to 1 Peter or 2 Peter or Jude, right? Some of these books, so when he refers to the, what was written in the former days, he's talking about the Old Testament primarily. And what he's telling us is that the Old Testament, the historical books, the Psalms and wisdom literature, the prophets, the epistles, as well as the gospels, as well as what Paul wrote, that they are all for our benefit. That what God has given us in his word is for our instruction. And so if we need enablement and strength to know what it means to serve and how to serve, the first place we look is his word. Because it's in his word that he instructs us. 
This call to serve one another, it comes from his word. And his word instructs and strengthens us to live this way. It's his word that enables us to endure and persevere and encourage us to live as people of hope, people who serve. But it's not just God's word, it's also his spirit. We see it at the end of our passage. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, hope doesn't simply increase because we will it to increase. Like, joy doesn't come just because we wake up in the morning and say, let's be joyful, right? Let's be happy, right? It, it doesn't grow by our own strength. No, these things abound through the power of the Spirit. The Spirit working in our lives. So how do we know if it's the Spirit working or us? I mean, that's the question, right? And so if you want the answer, you can come to Sunday school class. Um, we're teaching on the Holy Spirit, but, but for now, to give a little a teaser. The way that we know if it's the Spirit and not us, the way that we know that it's the Spirit leading is, is we look to God's Word. Because God's Word and instruction, it encourages us. It helps us to endure. And so the working of the Spirit will always be in alignment with God's Word. The working of his spirit will always be in alignment with his word. They will not contradict each other. So if you're thinking, you know, I, I just have this amazing, powerful, overwhelmingly strong desire to steal, <laughs> to gossip, to lie, to commit adultery, it doesn't matter how strong that is. It doesn't matter how powerful that desire is. That is not from the Spirit. It is not from the Spirit because it is not in line with Scripture. God's Spirit will never call you to do something contrary to His Word. And so if you're wondering if that prompting, if that moving is of the Spirit, you look to his word. You look to his word. And if they're in alignment, then you can have confidence that it is the Spirit that is working and moving. So we look at Scripture, but, but we also look at our lives. And as we look at our lives, we see the Spirit's work in us, don't we? Right? We see growth in joy and peace and hope. These things are evidence of God's work, of his Spirit in us. And we don't just look at ourselves over the course of time, right? We look at ourselves or just in a moment, but over the course of time. Because it's over the course of time that we see God's Spirit working in us, changing us, reforming us into the image of Christ. Right? I mean, think about it like this. If, if you were to look, everyone who has children younger than like 18, you know your children are growing, right? We know that they're growing. And so you want to watch them grow, right? So to watch them grow, to observe this, you don't just sit there and stare at them for hours upon hours, day after day after day, right? Like that would be weird and make your children feel very uncomfortable, right? Don't do that, children. You can thank me later. Um, that would be very strange. It'd be very uncomfortable for your children, and you won't even see their growth, 
right? Because growth doesn't take place like that. They don't grow six inches in a minute and a half. It's incremental. It's slow, right? To see their growth, you have to put them against the wall, and you see all those marks that you've, you've drawn to, to measure their growth, and you can look at them and go, wow, look how much you've grown over the last year, <laughs> right? Well, it's the same with us, right? If we want to see the Spirit's work in our life, we look back over the last month or year or 10 years, and we see people who were once angry, who are now joyful. People who were once self-righteous, who are now gracious. People who once despised others, who are now loving. That change in us is evidence of the Spirit's work. And so if you see that change, you look at your own life and you see joy and peace and hope increasing. You can count on the fact that that is the spirit at work. The spirit at work in our individual lives, but also the spirit at work in our corporate lives. Because we are not just supposed to be individuals who are relying and enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to live like this. But we are to be a corporate body who is doing it. And what's amazing about this, y'all, is that, that God, when he calls us to live a certain way, he equips us with what we need to live that way. He doesn't say, hey, go serve one another. Go give of yourselves for one another. Go bear with your neighbor and the weak. And then he steps back and says, do your best. No, he enables us and equips us when he calls us to do something, when he calls us to live a particular way, he gives us what we need to live that way. He gives his word and his spirit so that we would be enabled to live as people of service. And the result of this is that we would live in unity and worship. That's what Paul says in verses 5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see that unity, right? That we would live in harmony with one another. Now don't forget where we've been, right? Paul's been talking about when disputable matters arise, when there's differences within the church. He's been talking about weaker and stronger living together. And so, so when he says live in harmony, live in unity, unity he's, he's not pretending like those disputes have gone away. And he's also not saying that unity means uniformity. Paul wasn't naive. He knew differences existed in Rome and that they would exist within the church and that they would exist today. No, this harmony that Paul is calling for, this unity that he's calling for, it's not a unity in terms of our political views or our educational views or our economic standing. It's not that sort of unity. It is a unity, a harmony that is centered on Christ. Did you see it? He says to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. What Paul is speaking of is a shared devotion and union with Christ and a union with one another that is far more significant than our differences. Our harmony in Christ is more important than our differences. 
And y'all, that is testimony to the power of the gospel. It's testimony to the power of the gospel because what it does is it unites people together who the world would say we should never be together. People who can set aside differences, political, racial, economic, educational, who, who set those aside because there is something more important than those things. There is the gospel. There is Christ. That's what unites us, and that speaks to the power of the gospel that men and women would join together in worship who would never, ever interact with one another apart from the work of Christ. That is beautiful. That is not something that we can create in ourselves. That is testimony to the power of the gospel, that we would join in unity, that we would join in worship. And that's where Paul takes us. Live in harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? That together with one voice we glorify God. With one voice, we sing glory to God. Now, of course, as we sing, as we worship, right, we have individual voices, right? But, but what Paul is saying is that our worship, our devotion goes beyond just Penny or Susie or Bob or Rebecca or whomever, that we sing praise together, that we worship together. You see, Christ has saved us and redeemed us and served us and brought us into his body so that we would be joined together in worship of him. Regardless of where you come from and regardless of what your past entails, regardless of differences in economics or education, race or ethnicity, sex or age, Christ calls all his people to sing with one voice in worship of him. And this worship extends to the nations. Right? Verses 8 through 12, come back to it. Christ came to be a servant to not just the circumcised, not just to the Jew, but to the nations. Right? Paul quotes the historical books in verse 9. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. The Psalms in verse 11. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And the prophets in verse 12. The root of Jesse will come. Even he who raises to, arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. You see, Paul is telling us that God's plan has always been to unite together a people from every tribe and tongue and nation and land and ethnicity to unite us together in worship of Christ. And that's what he's doing. Christ has served not just the Jew, but the Gentile. He has served the sinner and the saint. He has drawn all his people together that we would be united in worship of him. And because he has done this, because he has served us in this way, we take that title domestique upon ourselves. Our job is not to please ourselves, but our job is to use our skill and our abilities and our strength in service of others. And every single Sunday, 
we have a chance to embody this again. Every single Sunday, we gather again together and to be reminded of this truth because when we leave these doors, it is easy for us to forget. It is easy for us to think that we are simply to please ourselves, but every Sunday we return and we see a small expression of this lived out as we are united together in worship of the one who served us, who also enables us to serve one another. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you have sent Jesus to serve your people. For you, Lord Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. And so we thank you and we rejoice that we are counted as the many, that you are, we are the people that you have served. And so we come before you humbly and ask, make us people who serve. Teach us not to please ourselves, but to seek to give of ourselves for our neighbor and for one another so that your name would be glorified, so that we would testify to the power of your gospel and that your name would be made known in all the earth. Do this, we pray, in Christ's name. And God's people said together, amen.